It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. It may not be that much ho for people on the 20th of December. Ed was sceptical about this being a festive episode. You think we go full ho? I think once we're into the, the, the 20s, you can go full ho. I have a slight disaster to report to you, which is that the compost bin got overfilled and an animal got into it and I had to sweep it all up this morning. Oh, Ed... Those bins are very well designed, though, that if you put the lid on the right way, the handle, you can't open them. They're unopenable by the animals. Anyway, the animal really got to it. And also, I was the first person to see it outside. And so I thought, you know, in normal circumstances, I sort of ignored it and left it to Justine to sort of deal with. <laughs> oh, I didn't see that. It must have happened after I, I left. completely banged to rights. I thought, you know, it's just all over. It's like old bits of orange, you know. An animal had really sort of had it gone to town. Gone to town. <laughs> they like it was a, you know, they had a party in the in the food waste. That's nice for them at this time of year. Yeah, a little was, Christmas party for the animal. And then I was thinking, if I don't sweep it all up, are we going to get rodents or you know, because they'll be attracted to it? Are you going to start a witch hunters to <laughs> close the bin lid properly? I think, I think that would be not very Christmassy spirit thing. It could have been me. <laughs> It was the third, I think it was might be the third food waste bag, or maybe it wasn't put out last week. I would be behave gracefully, but inside I would be seething. Unless might I knew be it was... Me, but it might be me, I don't know. I just don't then, know. Then I would be keeping very quiet I about it. I just don't it. know. And do, do, what are you thinking, foxes? Foxes, probably, yeah. Well, I don't want to think beyond foxes. I wish we had raccoons in this country, just to, just to mix it up a bit. Do you? As I said last week on the podcast, ever since following this Twitter account, Raccoons Hourly, I've become quite obsessed with them. I don't want to be anti-raccoons, but we had two... When I lived in America when I was seven, we had two cats. And I think one of them got attacked by a raccoon. Oh, nasty bastards. Is that a possibility? I saw a thing about people, some man being attacked by beavers the other day. Quite seriously. You don't think there's an animal uprising, do you? I don't know. Uh, yeah, anyway, I remember... Did, 
cats are called Tom and Kutsi. I don't know why they were called. They were their names. And one of them got attacked by a raccoon. At least that's what my mother told me. Maybe that was a made-up story, but... It survived? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all's well that ends well. I, I don't want to slur all raccoons, though. No, I think... It could I, have just been one bad apple. We're a raccoon-friendly... <laughs> we're a raccoon-friendly <laughs> setting here on this podcast. Um, I think we've sort of we've diverted off Christmas a bit too much, haven't we? We have. We what have. are you most looking forward to about in terms of um, present giving? I, I'm not in a good. I, I, I was ahead of the game and then I got complacent and I'm now sort of quite seriously behind the game. Oh, I'm 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 behind. I'm, I'm way behind the game. I haven't even started to think about Sarah's present yet, which Shit. is the uh, tough one. And what are you hoping for? I bought various clothes items. I bought a shacket. What is a shacket? Ed is now coming back in. I can hear him. He's entering the frame of the Zoom cam. Look at this. Oh, so I should have been able to work this out. This is a portmanteau of shirt and jacket. It's a cross between a shirt and a jacket. That's really nice. It is nice, isn't it? It's very flattering. You're so slender these days. Your clothes just hang off you like a model. You're so willowy. Well, I don't know about that. Is that a thing they call a worker jacket? Yeah, maybe it is a little bit. Here's who I would imagine wearing this. A top architect in a Parisian firm. Or maybe somebody in the design department at Apple. It's very stylish. You don't think it looks like a sort of somebody on strike in the 1970s outside a brazier, with a, you know, outside a, on a picket line? You haven't got an oil drum that you could just set on fire so you can stand you next to it. <laughs> no, I, I think it's really nice because I think uh, that's, that's a, a thickness of fabric issue and it doesn't have anything of that donkey jacket quality to it so that's my sort of christmas present nicely quilted on the inside as well Mm, nicely quilted from justine i suppose so yeah from me to me i suppose what you're just going to give her the receipt and ask her to (laughs) reimburse yeah it's all a bit it's all a bit fungible really i wish i knew what fungible and non-fungible meant but maybe that's an episode we've got to do an episode on non-fungible tokens NFTs, don't you think? I feel like I should know about them, but I, I, I don't really understand You know understand what they them. are. I don't really understand them either. I, I sort of do, but I sort of don't. It's like before we did anything on Bitcoin or blockchains or crypto. I really think we should do NFTs at some point. I really do. Yeah. I think it'll be quite good. Yeah. Um, so, so we're doing an AMA as we did last year because we can't have our traditional game of class struggle with friends. We have been asking you for your questions on social media and we're going to barrel through as many as we can before we do so do you have a festive reason to be cheerful my reason to be cheerful is my family oh justine and the children i do like them they do reflect very well on you oh you know one gets so consumed by work and all of the other stuff that you know it's too easy to sort of take for granted not spend the time and all of that so justine daniel and sam are my reasons to be cheerful can you see that i've teared up I'm so pathetic. I'm so pathetic. Aww. I'm so easily moved moved to tears. That's lovely. Actually. Now the other thing is you've now got a problem because if you don't say Sarah and Jean, then it's going to be. If you say it's my new pet hamster, then it's going to you're going to be in the doo doo here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a good job that I don't have a pet hamster because it would yeah. easily leapfrog yeah. them. Yeah, you're leapfrogging hamster. Well, take it as red that it's Sarah and Jean. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's 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 uh, it's Sarah and Jean. Yeah. Funny old year. Once I go, it's very difficult to come back. I'm sorry. <laughs> Once I go, it's very difficult to come back I'm from... I'm sorry, I know you're thinking about your mum, I know. Yeah. But um, my mum was one of these people who loved Christmas, but not like a grown-up loves Christmas. And some people, as adults, really get into um, 
like loads of Christmas decorations and jumpers and all that stuff. My mum, in a completely and typically unshowy way, really loved Christmas through a child's eyes. And I feel dead lucky that Jean is you know five and a half this christmas and and that i get to see that and it's 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 brilliant so there you go yeah i'll i'll have uh you painted me into the corner but i'll uh i'll have that as well and i i think you know, i think that's a really important point which i think in a way you are very good at doing and i'm not so good at doing because my children really love christmas and at one point there was a sort of prospect of us being away for christmas day and they were really not very keen on being away because they just you know there's a sort of certain christmas traditions and i think i think it is well i think i like i really like that idea that you've got to see it through a child's eyes reasons to be cheerful with ed Miliband and jeff lloyd all right here we go are you ready for me to delve into my big center sack and get the first question yes i'm all ears here we go this comes from anna redmond Yep. Who uses a very big heart emoji, which I, uh, I particularly enjoy. What is your yep. most used emoji, by the way? I think it might be the sort of, maybe it's the crying one, you know, the full tears of laughter type one. I'm glad it's tears of laughter. Yeah. Your face suggested it might be the kind of Wallace and Gromacy. What the, is partly that one too. The Grimacy yeah. one. Yeah, that is a good one. The Grimacy one. What's your favourite? I've become increasingly attached to the cowboy hat one. What does that indicate? I think I just like to use it because it's one of the lesser used emoji. What does it mean, the cowboy hat? I just think it's a fun face to send to somebody. I'm not really an expert on emojis. Then. What do we think about emojis in general? I held out for a long time. I refused to use them. And then I just saw it was the way the world was going. And I've, uh, I've, I've tried, to, tried to give in. When did they get invented emojis? I'm not sure, but I can tell you something interesting about them if you want. I don't, I'm not sure you can, but go on. There is a consortium. A, I think it's called the Unicode Consortium that convenes in Switzerland every year to decide what, if any, new emojis uh, they're going to introduce. If Labour gets into government, I'm, you know, I'm going to try and become responsible for emojis and I'll nominate <laughs> you to the committee. <laughs> Climate change, net zero, and emojis. Some people crave being uh, the ambassador. The I, ambassador I, I, to emojis. Yeah, I'd really like to be the ambassador to emojis. Yeah, we've we sort of we've sort of slightly got diverted, I think. <laughs> Anna says a listener recently suggested that the Jeffocracy changes its name to Jefftopia. I would like to suggest that the ocracy part is less of an issue than the Jeff part, since we are interested in ideas, not personalities. Could you consider changing to the cheerfulocracy or maybe the reasonsocracy? So my initial reaction is that I would know No, your initial reaction is no. I would feel sad to, to have to take all the statues down and change the banknotes. But I, I just want to point out, and I've tried to get this point over the line a few no, times recently. No, no, Ed no, invented no, the Jeffocracy. No, no, it was your no, creation. Don't, I mean, honestly, it's like, you know, I just don't buy this really. It's there. It's on one of the early episodes. I know, but the point is, you you know, you could have said, no, I'm not into the cult of personality. What was Tony Benn's line? It's policies, not personalities. <laughs> uh, you, you could easily have sort of said no. I could, but when the mantle of power was thrust upon me by you in such a way... Do you know the Sherman Oath? No, tell me. Uh, the Sherman Oath is, if nominated, I will not run... If elected, I will not serve. And now, who was Sherman? That's the question. 
It's a sort of it's what people say when they refuse to run for something. Let's just look. Sherman Oath Origins. Here we are. It's American political jargon for a clear and direct statement by a potential candidate indicating he or she will not run for a particular elected position. The term derives from the Sherman Pledge, a remark made by American Civil War General William Tecumseh Sherman when he was being considered as a possible Republican candidate for the US presidential election of 1884. He declined, saying, I will not accept if nominated and will not serve if elected. Interesting, eh? I feel a certain kinship with William Sherman. I was thinking you might take the Sherman Oath when it comes to going to parties. If invited, I will not come. And if, dra- and if dragged there by my wife, I will refuse. I mean, there must be a sort of, there must be a kind of version. There must be a version of it. Uh, so, so, right. So, hang on. But this is my point. Let's, we're, we're wandering here. The, the Jeff, the point, my point about the Jeffocracy is you could have invoked the Sherman Oath. I only just found out about it. Ah. I'm going to retrospectively invoke the Sherman Oath. No, but we quite like the Jeffocracy, to be honest. I mean, there is a certain absurdity about it, and I'm not talking about the ocracy part. I, I don't see it. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, if it was a serious concept, it would be very scary. You mean the... The, the Jeff Tony, part, yeah. The, the, Jeff the Tony part, yeah. Ben thing, that how did you get the power and how, how do we get rid of you? No, I would quite like to live in a world ruled by you. I think it would be a much nicer world. There'd be, as I said many times, there would be a lot of delegation, but I think my heart would be in the right place. Your heart definitely would be in the right place. And I think you're sort of, I think you're slightly too self-deprecating. I think after 200 and something episodes, you've gone through the training course. I mean, the Jeffocracy, you know, around episode five, I think it would have, I think it would have had a few challenges. I think it would have been a sort of slightly kind of bumpy ride. But yeah. I, I think by now you've got your sort of MA in cheerful studies. Yes. Yeah, well on the way to the PhD. The manifesto is a lot more fleshed out. Back then I was seeing a lot of parades back then, but now I'm, I'm a lot more focused on the, uh, on the ideas and the policies. You, you're much less focused on sort of parades of tanks going up and down <laughs> the street to, with you saluting, aren't you? Yeah, I, look, I think... And I think you do the right, you know, you've got models of leadership to learn from. You've heard the war stories about Gordon and, you know, the things to emulate, the things maybe not to emulate. Oh, you've persuaded me, Ed. Let's keep the Jeffocracy. Let's keep it. Sorry. Bring on the Jeffocracy. Sorry to our listener, but we're keeping it. Joel Corner. Ah, the Milliverse. Joel was on our Christmas party a few years ago, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, uh, Joel says, this is for Ed. I loved Go Big, especially the chapter on devolution. I was wondering what kind of devolution you think is most likely to happen in England. Would it be devolved regional parliaments, more mayors, more powers for mayors or something else? Well, funnily enough, talking of Gordon Brown, we've got a report coming from Gordon Brown, I think sometime next year, because he's been looking at Scottish, for the Labour Party, he's been looking at Scottish devolution, but also wider devolution issues in England too, I, you know, I suppose the truth is I'm not particularly kind of dug in on a particular form of it. I think the thing I talk about in the book is that at the moment it's incredibly piecemeal. So I was in Norwich last week. They For the quiz of the week? Oh, the what? I forget you didn't watch ITV when you were growing up. It was the sale of the century. It was live from Norwich. It's the quiz of the week. Is that right? Yeah. yeah live from the Norwich. Century. It's the quiz of the week. Sale of the century. No. Anglia TV, the little silver knight going round on a on a rotating plinth at the beginning. So you see, South Yorkshire, where I'm an MP, has has a a mayor. Um, 
but that mayor at the moment has significantly less powers than Greater Manchester. Norwich doesn't have a, a kind of an elected sort of metro mayor or equivalent for the for the wider area. So it's all incredibly sort of messed up and and sort of piecemeal. At the moment, it's been a very centrally managed process of devolution where Westminster has given bits away. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing, he's got to have real power and real resources, I think. You know, I keep saying this thing about how Andy Burnham can try and regulate the buses, but if he wants to run his own bus company, he can't. I actually think devolution is one of the issues where, you know, I was sort of convinced of it as a local MP, but I think doing the podcast has sort of convinced me of it more. And it is about people's control over the things that matter to them, I think, fundamentally. After we've been doing the podcast a while, I don't know, maybe even on these 10 or 20 episodes, themes started to emerge that were common to a lot of the ideas. And and one of them is that in this country, power's too centralised. And a lot of um, a lot of these policies could really flourish if some of that power was devolved. Yeah, we're into that. We're def- And also, we're just so unusual in the amount of centralisation we have. I'd quite like to be a mayor, but not one of the ones like Andy Burnham, where, where you really have to do very much. I'd like to be one of those ceremonial mayors where you get to wear a big gold chain, like Mr. T. Civic mayor. Yeah. It generally is people who are a councillor. Mm. People t- start off as a councillor where they have to do real work. And then, uh, and then, uh, by the way, being a civic mayor is a lot of work. Oh, then I've really misunderstood it. I just, I want to wear the big cloak and the I know, the but you've got to go to lots and lots and lots of events. And a tricorn, oh yeah, yeah, tricorn hat. Uh, yeah, I'd not really thought about the socialising aspect of it. Um, could you be a consort? Maybe there's a civic mayor who's listening who needs a consort. Do I have to be romantically involved with them? I don't think so, no. Oh, then maybe not. Joel, Joel also adds for Jeff, have you managed to get Ed to watch all of Get Back yet? I'm going to be honest here. I've, I've invited him for a sleepover. I have hired at some expense Sergeant Pepper costumes. And yet you, you keep finding reasons purportedly to do with your family and your important job to decline my invitation. You know what? It's interesting. This I, I've got news to report on this front, which is uh, I did start watching it. Uh, I tried to persuade my wife to watch it last Saturday night. I mean, it is really interesting. It's amazing footage. I think you have to maybe know the backstory a bit more. She didn't seem that interested. Okay, this is slightly blaming her, but she. So I started watching it for fifteen minutes. Like, oh, this is amazing, and then she was looking at her phone, and so it sort of slightly put me off. When you put these films on, you need to switch into slow TV mode. Yeah, it's, it's not a pacey. Yeah, documentary. It's it's a feat of storytelling. Yeah, and and um, a, a an exploration into the psychodrama of friendship and bands and creativity, told over nearly eight hours. And and the period it covers is a three week period, pretty much. So you need to adapt to that. And it's it's almost like I think you can have it on in the way that you you'd have a goldfish bowl in the corner of your room and you can drift in and out of it. I think that's I've had a lot of people who aren't big fans like I am who've wanted to talk to me about it and I think that's that's the key. Can I ask you and I forgive me if my amnesia is just so we've already discussed this. I read a really interesting piece which I think I might have sent you in the New York Times about Yoko's role in this. Yeah. I, I mean Yoko's role in the documentary. Yes. That it's very, very, and it's a very interesting sort of study of, 
well, her studied approach to this. Yeah. You know, that she's she's sitting there reading the newspaper, doing other things. Like, what's interesting is the way that story has been told of the end of the Beatles for decades... Has been blaming her, basically. There's, there's been a lot of implication yeah. that yeah. The, the weirdness of having yeah. her around was ultimately a disruptive force. And, and what you see, actually, is she just quietly gets on with doing what she's doing. I, th- I think, historically, there's been a lot of misogyny and probably a bit of racism in the way right. that people thought about her. Back then, it was a rock star's girlfriend putting herself where you know, a certain type of man would have thought she didn't belong. But oh, it, it is interesting watching how accommodating the Beatles are. And I'm not saying they always were of her, but by this stage... They'd accepted that that was how John and Yoko wanted to be, and they were figuring out how to incorporate that in a really reasonable and emotionally intelligent way. Yeah. Okay, you ready for another one? Yep. Let me delve into... Oh, it's a selection box now. It's not a centre sack. In the selection box, this comes from Jan Clifford Godfrey on Facebook. Raspberry cream. Is that your preferred... Not really. It's the one I thought of, though. Do you have a box of chocolates in the house at Christmas? Do you go for a tub? Well, you know, my older son doesn't like chocolate, so it's sort of slightly confusing. When did that happen? He never liked chocolate. What a blessing that is. I know. So Jan says, oh, this is on a food topic as well. What would Ed have on his sandwich in his make-your-own-sandwich bar? Ah. I can't believe we've gone this many episodes and, and that hasn't Good come up. Good question. Yeah. So you're making a sandwich today, Ed. What's, what's going on to it? What, what bread are you using? These are all difficult questions. I, my bluff has been tr- well and truly called here, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I've been going on and on and on, wanging on about this make-your-own-sandwich thing. It's like, okay, well, what sandwich would you like? Yeah. Uh, you go first. Okay, okay. Let me, let me, just, uh, let me just calibrate here. Here's what I'm going to have. I'm going to have like a spongy white bread. Is it going to be a sourdough? Well. Maybe, maybe it is going to be a sourdough. My son the other day, we were in a local shop and he went, Daddy, I want some sourdough. And I just thought, what kind of North London middle class exactly. cliche have I become? How does he even yeah. know the word sourdough? That, that hasn't is... come from me. Yeah. Um, so, so maybe a nice spongy white sourdough. Then what I'm going to do is fry up some tofu. Wow. Sliced tofu. And I'm going to put some crunchy iceberg lettuce into the sandwich. Oh, this is good. Sounding good, actually. Yeah, it's going to have... Vegan mayonnaise mixed cheese, with... Cheese? Vegan cheese? No. No vegan cheese. No, mixed, the mixed kit, with... The kit's out of yeah, date. I know, yeah, I know what you're driving yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it expired, sadly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Birthday, it, uh, birthday, Christmas present? Yeah. yeah. On the scrap heap, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> keep going. Um, it's, it's got vegan mayonnaise mixed in with chipotle paste to give it a bit of spice. Yeah. And then some sun-dried tomatoes. I think this might be inspired by a sandwich from one of Anna Jones's cookbooks, but that's my sandwich. And what, sorry, what's the, is the tofu is the sort of staple? Is I think the, the tofu and the spice is the thing, that, you know, and then you get the crunch from the lettuce. And just a bit of a tingy top note from the sun-dried tomato. You've set a really, you've set a high bar and I'm finding myself really struggling here. But, but I think uh, a simple sandwich can be very good as well. I think sort of if there's no, so if there's no guilt attached. Yeah. I mean, I'm also sort of now thinking, you know, should it be vegetarian? Uh, should it be vegan? No judgment. You see, I used to have, perhaps notoriously, 
sandwiches with meat in them, but not not because of the incident, uh, but just more generally. I sort of don't really eat. So, like, I used to really like like salami or ham type sandwiches, but I don't really eat those things anymore for a whole range of health reasons. Are there any sandwiches when you think of your childhood? You know, you get like a Proustian rush. Maybe when when you lived in America, are there any sort of classic American sandwiches, like those deli sandwiches? That had a sort of goop problem. Not, ah. Gwyneth Paltrow, not Gwyneth Paltrow, but, you know. <laughs> so, I, you know, that that is part of my reason for the Make Your Own Sandwiches. I always found that a lot of those American sandwiches, there was just, you know... Uh, too much goop. Anyway, look, I'm sort of I'm I'm havering here. So I think I tell you what I quite like is just a very plain cheese sandwich on brown bread with just a very small amount of butter. Nice, a simple cheese sandwich, like like the, what you'd give to a child when you go to a museum. It's exactly right. I don't know why you said that, but that is exactly right. What, I'm just thinking you... whenever you go to places like the Natural History Museum, they have these boxes and they have very, that is very exactly simple... what I like. That I mean that so. I, I think that is exactly the sandwich I like. Very, that's the, really the inspiration for making a sandwich. No goop, no messing around. There's not even going to be a slice of tomato on there. There could be a slice of, possibly a, sl- a slice of tomato. I think there's also, we, we mustn't sort of, I think we need to give some coverage to our bagel friends here. Mm. Um, so a sort of ni- a poppy seed bagel with some cream cheese and some smoked salmon. Uh, and some lemon and some yeah. uh, black pepper and maybe a pickle on the side. I'm, I, I think I, have we talked about pickles before? Um, I've got a vague memory we have. Sarah's a huge fan. She can devour a jar. She can inhale a jar within minutes. I think we should make 2022 the year of the pickle. I mean, I think they have been very. I think they are un, gherkins are un, undersold. We love an underdog on this podcast. Do you think we can get data on? Oh, I've got a data question for our listeners. By the way, um, do you think we can get data on pickle consumption? We can get someone on it. Over time. But people don't talk about pickles, really. Is it an American thing, the pickle? Do you have a jar of pickles in the house? We do, because Sarah's American. But when I was growing up, we'd have a jar of pickled onions on the the table with Sunday lunch. Pickled onions? Well, pickled onions are a completely different kettle of fish. No, I know, I know, I know. Oh, I don't don't like pickled onions. I'm not very cute. I think that's a very northern thing, sort of pickled beetroot, pickled onions. I think pickled beetroot's all right, but a beetroot is also an underrated vegetable. Anyway, the question I was going to ask about the science is, I've got quite obsessed, as you know, with cold water swimming, and the, the, the temperatures plunge to four, so I've equaled my PB, my personal best, in swimming in four. Um, now, the temperature's gone back up to six, but that got me thinking, which is there's a, a time series of the temperatures in the ponds going back 10 years, it must be possible to know the te- the outside air temperature over those 10 years. Could someone plot the relationship between the two of them? Could one of our listeners, this is an appeal to the listeners, to plot the relationship so that it will give me a sense as I look at the forecast going forward, that means that the, temp- the, the, the pond temperature is going up. Basically, the, the water temperature, I think, is a lagging indicator. It lags behind the air temperature. Uh-huh. Uh, it doesn't just sort of immediately kind of change, but I, but I don't quite fully understand the relationship. So air temperature, or at least the the what it feels like in the air, can be affected by factors like wind. What are the factors that affect water temperature apart from sunlight and heat on the water? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's the outside air temperature, obviously, but it doesn't. It doesn't. You know, when the outside air temperature is two, it doesn't immediately go to two. The ponds. It's sort of, and there's some complicated thing about the 
is it the the warmer water is at the top and the colder water is at the bottom and there's some heat transference that goes on i don't quite fully know so you'll have more warmth in the water as you get into winter than the outside air temperature would suggest but then it'll be colder i think as you come out of it in the spring it will lag behind is my is my guess but i'd like well, that, that's why september's often a good month for water temperature if you like it warm because it's had the whole summer to heat up and actually, you know, we might be going to Cornwall, assuming we're allowed, um, I assume we will be, uh, for uh, after Christmas. And I was looking at the sea temperature. And by the way, it's quite interesting. We're, gonna, we're hopefully going on holiday to a lighthouse where there's no Wi-Fi and no phone signal, as I understand it. And there's a foghorn that goes off in the middle of the night if, um, if it's foggy. That sounds like a harmonious family holiday. It's getting away from it all. Anyway, we, but this is a sort of an, an appeal. To, there must be tech-savvy listeners who could plot these two things on a graph. And I'd just like to know what the relationship is. When you get into the water, do you do it slowly or quickly? Well, I don't dive in. I think I can't, I can't imagine doing that. I go in slowly. I, by, by the way, I mean, as, as you know, I could bore on about cold water swimming for a long time. I mean, honestly, the, the heron. The the, the 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 bird life in the ponds at the moment has been amazing. You know, you see a heron passing by. And have you got to a stage where you're like St. Francis of Assisi, where they come to you? The herons. Yeah. But they, they stay very close. They seem very, very unperturbed by humans. What about you in particular, though? Have you got a particular <laughs> kinship and affinity with this heron? No, although somebody did accuse me of slightly showing off as I did my third lap in five degrees the other day. I sort of... I was bashful about it. I said, oh, you know, because I've got these socks and gloves and so on. Were you hoping somebody had noticed that you did three laps? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see if we get any data back from our listeners on okay. this air temperature, water yeah. temperature correlation thing. Um, this comes from Katie and Jamie in Bath. They add not in the bath. Yeah. Because that would have sparked a whole conversation about who gets the tap end. It says, loved seeing Ed in the COP26 Jonathan Pye film. Mm. Um, would you have Jonathan Pye as either A, the next Prime Minister, or B, BBC News anchor? Now, we know that you can't opt for A because it would become a headline. So what do you think about the prospect of Jonathan Pye becoming a BBC anchor? Well, it was one of many interviews I did at COP26. I, he said, he, he, the, whole, the conceit was that he was hoping to interview Barack Obama and he ended up with me. Um, and so I said I thought I was ending up with Wolf Blitzer, and I ended up with him. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, That's it wasn't good. bad. I thought of it on the spur of the moment. Not too shabby. In, in terms of um, interviewers, yeah, you. I'm not asking you to not asking you to play favourites, but yeah, you. yeah, yeah. Is is there anybody who I'm not saying they give you an easy ride, but you go and you think, okay, this is this is going to be engaging and it's going to be a fun mental and verbal workout? And is there anybody who you can't sleep the night before they interview you. I tell you who I quite admire as an interviewer, um, although I think it's sort of probably prejudicial for him, is Evan Davis on the PM programme. Do you know the PM yeah, programme? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not to say that he doesn't ask tough questions. He absolutely does. But I think he's on a sort of mission to... When I have been interviewed by him, I tend to think he's on a mission to explain. He's quite cerebral and... And he sort of tries to kind of think, okay, what's the, you know, what's the deeper truth here? It's good when there's that kind of curiosity underpinning it rather than, I don't, you know, obviously you're going to hold people's feet to the fire if you're doing that job. But this obsession 
with with pinning somebody down to a one word yes no answer on something to score a point i can't listen to that stuff anymore Funnily enough, the other person I get on well with, I have a good relationship with, with is, is Nick, do you know Nick Ferrari on LBC? Yeah, you always seem to have fun when I see you on that yeah, show. Yeah, I do have fun with him. So what is it you like about going on that? I don't know, we have sort of banter. Bants. Bit of chemistry. Bants. Mm. Bants in your pants. I think it's quite good if you're a politician, if you can feel relaxed enough. That... And again, he asks really difficult questions, but it's more that you can just have a sort of kind of slightly funny exchange we have we often had we, we i think it began when he asked me about honest eds and electric cars if honest yeah. ed was trying to sell me an electric car um i began my life as sort of writing tv interviews did you well i was a i was a researcher on a week in politics who was the host uh andrew rawnsley and vincent hannah vincent hannah who is a very sort of eminent uh, TV presenter. He was Mr. By-elections at one point in the 1980s. He, he would report on by-elections. And that's where I met Harriet Harman. We did a very, very tough interview with her when she was Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury, which sort of went very badly, for, quite badly for her. Anyway, I met her uh, through that and then sort of went to work for her. And she still went to work for her after, after that interview, which did you tell her you'd written the questions? Yeah, I think she kind of wanted me on side. And actually, we should mention Harriet because she's actually standing down from Parliament um, last week. And, um, you know, I think it's quite a sad moment, but also a moment to really... I said to her, I mean, I think it's really interesting that, you know, she is a conviction politician. She has advanced the cause of gender equality above all with passion, determination against massive obstacles and i think it's really interesting that if you look over the sweep of somebody's career you know every politician has their sort of ups and downs and she's had her share of them sacked from the cabinet all kinds of other things you know by tony blair etc etc but you know people have i think quite a lot of respect for her and her commitment to the cause god i'd love to get her on one time we should get her on let's let's ask her I also like it when people know when it's time to leave the party. I don't mean political party. Means. Is that aimed at me? <laughs> no, but... Mo- okay, most- sunshine. <laughs> I get the message. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been trying to convene the men in grey suits to come and give yeah, you a tap exactly. on the shoulder. I think you could be like the, uh, the, the, the Dennis Skinner. Moveon.org. <laughs> All right, uh, uh, straight back into the selection box. This comes from Lizzie Cook on Facebook, who says, who would win if the cabinet and the shadow cabinet had a royal rumble and why? So this is interesting. So uh, like the sharks and the jets. What is a royal rumble? I think it's a a street fight. Have you seen the film Anchorman? Is that Ron Burgundy? Yeah. Now this is... We're going to live this out in the mind. We, you know, I know you're a lover, not a fighter. I know that you would never condone this kind of thing. But I would say that Rob is the is the one to avoid. And I thought I thought the the three people you could take, um, the only three people, in fact, are Gove, Little Rishi, and Simon Clark. I saw a fellow called Chief Secretary to the, to the Treasury, and I thought you could probably beat him if you went man o man. Okay, can we can we sort of dial it down here because I'm an anti-violence person? What about sort of celebrity instant knockout? Okay, okay, okay. Don't you think yeah. that's the sort of easier? Yeah, let's let's just to make it a bit easier for you. There are dirigibles involved. What's dirigibles? 
Weren't they the big inflatable things they had on this oh, knockout? Yeah. In my mind, it was a lot of jousting with inflatables and trying to stay on top of things. I think it's got comic potential. I think so. I'd stay away from Reese Mogg as well. He looks like he could be a biter. I'm not playing. Email us, reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Cheerful Podcast or search for our Facebook page, Reasons to be Cheerful Podcast. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, this comes from Elizabeth, who says, I've learned so much from Reason to be Cheerful and have a number of standout episodes that helped raise my awareness and change the way I look at issues, episodes on social care, Black Lives Matter, city planning in particular. Which episodes of Reason to be Cheerful have been most life-changing for you in the way that you think about an issue? Ooh, good question. I think our, our answer, which we've given a lot in terms of something that neither of us had given much thought to, had, had been the deliberative democracy yeah, and sortition and I guess that type of involving the public in decision making which has come up time and time again I think there's been loads for me because I think this is a harder question for you in a way because you you live in this world so a lot of these ideas are things that will have come across your radar anyway but I remember when we did the neurodiversity episode it was a way of thinking about that's a really good one and how we're wired that i hadn't given much thought to and it's something i give a lot of thought to now and i'm I'm quite passionate about um i really enjoyed framing which we went into it i thought oh this is just like spin basically we're doing an episode on spin and i now think a lot about how uh, an issue is presented to the public so they can make a smart decision also i think on the podcast loads of times i've talked about how i was quite glib about big tech and data because i always felt like i'm getting to be on these social networks all day or whatever my data is a price that i think is worth paying and over time i've just 
come to realise how much privilege there was in that assumption and what a Pandora's box big tech is. That's a great list, if I may say so. Um, what do I think? Partly because the um, first Say Ignore You series is very much in my mind. I think for- forcing oneself to think about the history uh, of ideas and how they come about has been really important to me uh, from the podcast. I think raising one's sights to other countries. You know, I kind of knew about Scandinavia and all the great things they did. But for example, this whole father's leave thing, it's sort of use it or lose it father's leave. But I'll just say in that context, I think I really enjoyed our reasons to be Welsh episode. You know, I think Wales has come up quite a lot. Innovative thinking in Wales has come up quite a lot this year uh, on the podcast, actually. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Although both both Wales and Scandinavia raise an interesting question, which is when the political consensus of a country means that a government will tend to be one side or the other over a number of years with occasional swings, you can think long term in a way that you can't necessarily if, uh, see, if it's yeah. flip-flopping. Yeah, that's interesting. But I think we should say at this point we really want to hear from listeners, don't we? We want to yeah. we we want to sort of stir the hornet's nest of our listeners here. Not that they're hornets, but you know what a general picture. You're coming across as a bit anti-hornet there. God, <laughs> some of my best insects are hornets. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it'd be really good to um, hear from listeners. Cheerfulpodcast dot com about what you what they what, the episodes that you know we've got our top ten next week. Um, our top ten of the year, but we'd we'd really like to hear from people, wouldn't we? Yeah, what, what, yeah. What, what what do you want from us next? It's been an interesting diversion, getting into the history of of change over the past few weeks. But other things that you would like us to focus on, other things that we've never touched that you've been thinking, well, it's about time they got round to that. Yeah, I want to do more climate. I think I'd like to do more of the history, more, more of the sort of. More of the kind of nuts and bolts of how change happens. What are the factors? What are the circumstances that enable change to happen? I think is really, is really interesting. And more cold water swimming. This comes from Dr. Annette Bramley on Twitter, who says, will we ever get to hear the leisure centre story? I, I, I'm taking that to the grave with me. <sighs> Listen, I'm going to be absolutely honest about what happened. I had a minor story that was relevant to... Don't behave like you're in the House of Commons. That was a drum roll. That was a drum oh, roll. Oh, I thought you were doing that thing that MPs do when no. somebody gets to speak that they don't like, so they no, start no, no. banging and... Okay, okay. I had a minor story about a vending machine at the Leisure Centre that was relevant to the story, and then Ed started being really... Arsy. Arsy and, and sarcastic, said, oh, is this going to be a good story? Oh, I bet this is going to be interesting. This sounds, uh, this sounds enthralling. And I thought, well... I'm I'm not uh I'm not going to reward that behavior. I'm going to keep it to myself. I've let myself down. I've let the class down. Yeah. I mean we've got some suppressed videos that we've also got to deal with at some point. The geothermal baths is obviously one big one. Beautiful moment. What are the other ones? Is there a trampoline video? There's you on a trampoline which I have yet to see. There's me in my cold water swimming gear. Yes. Which is definitely not for the faint-hearted. Um, well, anyway, I don't think we're not going to hear the end of the Leisure Centre story, at least not for some time. Just to try and make things more comfortable, this comes from Trudy on Twitter, who yeah. says, Friendship question. Oh. What are your like favourite personality traits of the other person? Oh, that's a good one. Should we end on this one? 
Sure. She also adds, uh, and for an optional extra, least favourite traits. Reverse order. Reverse order. So we're ending on a, on a positive. Oh God! But I think we're gonna. I'm gonna feel offended, and you're gonna feel offended. Do we want to do the least favourite personality trait? Because then it might. It's sort of slightly like you know, you get ten people saying nice things on Twitter, and one and one person saying something horrible, and then you. You spend the whole day thinking about the one person who's something yes, horrible. Yes. Yeah, you make a good point. Well, maybe you need to find the least the, the least attractive personality trait, but which has a sort of good side to it. If you see what I mean, so Ed can be can you know ring me all hours of the day or night, but that's because, because he's he works so really passionate hard. about our friendship yeah. and the yeah. podcast. Yeah, or something. Okay, I've got one. Yeah, Ed. Ed is so respectful of boundaries and really likes to give my my own space that. He very thoughtfully will sometimes go days before replying to a text message. I know. This is a long-term <laughs> problem. I'm just sort of slightly kind of... This sounds like you're sitting on some dynamite that, that you, don't, you don't want to blow up in my face. What do you mean? It sounds like you've, you have something in your back pocket about me that is going to upset me so much that it's going to affect oh, no, no, our friendship. No, 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 no. I can't think of anything. I, I, am quite, I am quite bland. You're not bland. I mean, that, so it's difficult to think of it. Anything no, it's too not much bland. I tell you what, I don't think this is unattractive, but I, but I think it, it sort of sometimes. I just, this is was less true when now. Sometimes you, you, I find you can you're 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 incredibly nice to so many people. I find and incredibly solicitous, and then somebody you'll take against, and I find it and it and I find it sort of, and it kind of slightly hits me and hits me in the eyes because i'm like oh my goodness jeff's feeling upset with that person he really doesn't like that person and it's so un- it's really unusual because you're not somebody who takes against very many people at all so when it happens i find it quite sort of shocking in a way yeah i've got a list and it sort of is a little bit true isn't it oh yeah 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 and and i can i can hold a grudge i can perceive a slight i think at an olympic level now should we do the positives yes I'll start with you. I think you're incredibly generous. And I mean generous in a sort of broad sense. I mean, generous with presence, generous with your time, generous with your love, generous with your sort of uh, concern for people. I think that's the first thing I would say. Secondly, and this is slightly different from generous, I think you're very thoughtful about people, actually, and what other people are feeling, so I think you're quite on the lookout for other people. And I mean, I don't mean on the lookout in a bad way. The, the dry cleaners story has a sort of certain, for those who were listening last week, has a certain truth to it. Is you're worried about what other people are going to feel. And I, from a quite an early age, I had the same thing. I don't want people to be upset or feel bad. And so, and then I think, I mean, you are very funny. And I think the reason that when, when the very first episode we the, the, not episode the interview we did was you know i was on in this sort of paranoid state of leadership and i was thinking okay who the hell is this guy and why am i being interviewed by him and it's all gonna go wrong i was i was at this point um somebody who'd had a long multi-decade career on national radio you make it sound like i'd won a competition to interview <laughs> i'm so oh god this is terrible <laughs> i don't mean who is this guy sorry okay i fucked up here I I knew who you were, but I was like, what's he going to be? You know, I wouldn't have thought of you as doing normal political interviews. You certainly hadn't interviewed me before. I screwed up, didn't I? Sorry. No, no, not at all. Not, not at all. Um, oh, my goodness. I mean, what that's done for my self-esteem. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I sort of, I know, but it was all going fine until the end. <laughs> it's, it's so weird because um, I think I would like use very, very similar. I would I'd choose very similar things. I think, like, yeah, you're incredibly empathetic for somebody in your job. Like, I think often if you do that type of job you then lose that a little bit and and it's really easy to become narcissistic and i don't think you have that to you 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 you're introspective but i think but but you are to, to to have to have done a job where people make a fuss of you for such a long time and then to still be that considerate of other people's feelings i think is is quite unusual so that empathy's number 1 I can't remember the quotes by I think it's WH Auden but it's a, it's about when you look at your your friends and the thing that they've got in common is that they make you laugh. You're really funny and and I think people hear that on the podcast and I think it's part of the thing that people like about the podcast is they get to see this different side of you. And I think there's a real emotional intelligence to being able to laugh at everything and see the ridiculousness and everything at the same time is still caring about it. And that's that's certainly true of you. And then maybe more than anything, like your tolerance for cold water. I mean, a lot of people would only be able to do two laps at four degrees, but the fact that you can do three... And so humble about it as well. Yeah, yeah. And never never boasting, always hiding my light under a bushel. (laughs) That's very generous. Do you think our friendship can ever recover from that level of earnestness? It was quite earnest, wasn't it? <laughs> I basically, my, the way I screwed up was by saying three. The minute I said three, I thought, "Oh no, this, this is gonna, this is gonna run and run now." Because you can't, you can't like list them like a sort of shopping list. You've got to sort of, you've got to go into them in some level of detail. Otherwise, it looks perfunctory. I mean, thank goodness I didn't say five. <laughs> Oh, yeah. well, what a beautiful Christmas moment we've uh, we've given people to end on there. Maybe that's a good thing for other people to think about. You know, when you're sitting around for Christmas um, or seeing people on at Christmas, you know, maybe you need to think three nice things to say about each other. Do you think it would make it weird, though? Because I've, I've, I've tried something like that socially once and there's, some, there's something odd about it. I don't know if it's a Why? British thing or not. Because there is, um, there's a discomfort that can come with earnestness. And do you remember we did an episode which had this element in it that you'd done on your community leadership course? Oh, yeah. Where you kind of talk about your values. And do you remember I found it incredibly difficult yeah. to, to sort of talk in a what I felt was a self-serious way? And why is that? Do you think it's because a lot of human interaction is conducted on a level of fundamental... Superficiality is not, yes, quite, yes. It's not quite the thing I mean, but sort of... We find honesty quite difficult. Yeah, and and I think almost people are so scared that if they get into it in that way, then there's no coming, there's no coming back. So, so the this article, and this is going to sound strange. If I mentioned this article to you before, it's basically an article I've written, in, and I've been meaning to contact this chap, this guy, the publisher of the London Review of Books. I think he may no longer be the publisher. Uh, Nicholas Spice wrote this review of an edited volume by Adam Phillips, who I think is a psychotherapist. Have I mentioned you, you have on- mentioned it before, yeah. Have I mentioned it on the podcast? I'm not sure if you have or not. One of the many scandalous realities we choose to ignore because we cannot assimilate it is the fact of unexpressed thought. Consider it. Next time you're sitting at dinner with friends or people you don't know, stop for a moment and listen out for the inaudible murmur of concealed thoughts. 
the things going through your head that you are not speaking, the things going through the heads of the others, on the bus, in a tube carriage filled with silent strangers, at the breakfast table with your loved ones, in the office or the pub. Remember how the secret thoughts are swarming, seething, chattering like millions of bats in an underground cave, rustling beneath the surface of the day like cockroaches. Now and again, unintentionally or by chance, the secret thoughts slip out. You have guests staying, nice, kind, ingenious and well-meaning people who are rather boring. They have left the room and without thinking, you blurt out too loudly to your partner, God, what bores they are. Then you see that the window is open and you realise they're in the room above you and they will have their window open too because it's summer and they'll almost certainly have heard you and they're staying for another three days. Now, actually, I think that is sort of, that last bit is a sort of slightly different, but but is that, is is he onto something? Oh yeah, I mean, firstly, what what a piece of writing! That's some uh, great writing right there. But can I tell you the last bit of it? Because I this is my fa- this is the paragraph which is just absolutely brilliant. The, the 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 best bit of writing I think is this last very last sentence because he then contrasts psychoanalysis and and therapy and all that with what went before. And he says psychoanalysis does something altogether breathtaking out of the unworkability of its own project and as though to upbraid us with the comfortable dishonesty of our ordinary human bonds it fashions an image of pure trust not trust based on the appetitive deal-making of friendship and love but a groundless purposeless unjustifiable trust and this is the line i love between two human beings holding a conversation on the edge of the abyss whoa that's so good what is the lesson of this then that we should be more honest but yeah, because... but, well, I know people who are like, well, I just tell it like it is, and if people can't handle that, then that's their problem. And and they're often, I think, quite insensitive people who aren't worried about saying blunt things that will hurt people's feelings. But that's that's kind of the point, isn't it? So we've all got our own baggage that we bring to every interaction, and you don't know what the other person's is. And in a sense, the the politeness or the consideration in what we say is trying to factor in what baggage somebody might or might not have. Well, this is why therapy has sort of got its upside, doesn't it? Because, I mean, it's not even true, but you don't, you're, you're nearer to not caring what your therapist thinks. I do think I'm his favourite, though. I'm sure you are. Well, this this got deep. This this got it got um, really deep. I think we were those two human beings on the uh, on edge the of the, of the abyss. abyss, a lovely festive abyss. Well, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. I hope our listeners have a, a wonderful Christmas. Obviously, difficult, very difficult times for everybody, but I hope you have the best Christmas you can. And we'll see you for our New Year episode. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.